0: Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error, and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again, and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. I want to ask the question, what motivates you? What in your life provokes you to action, which is what motivation means? What what causes you to want to do something? What drives your passion? And have you ever had to have motivation to get something done that you didn't want to do? Did you have to have an internal or external motivation to accomplish a task? I tell you, I have. Uh, The first time I can remember needing true motivation was when uh, I was just about to graduate high school. I had signed up for the military. I decided that I didn't want to be, and, and no offense to anybody that's there, I just didn't want to be a guy that sits behind a desk in the military or, or in the carpool. So I, wanted to do, I wanted to get muddy. I wanted to get dirty. I wanted to do something stupid, right, because I was 18 years old, and I thought stupid was a good idea. And so I wanted to be infantry, not only infantry, man, but I wanted to be airborne infantry. I wanted to jump out of airplanes. I thought it would be a good idea at 18 years old to be a lawn dart, Right? Some of y'all younger kids don't know what a lawn dart is. Let me tell you, they're dangerous. <laughs> and so I thought I thought it would be a good idea. And so I signed up for that, and then I went back and told my grandfather, because I was 18 before I graduated high school, I signed up first and then went and told my grandfather. And my grandfather, man, I really thought he would give me the right-on, man, that's awesome, you're going to do great, but he didn't. You know what he said? My papa looked at me, he goes, well, you're never going to get that done. And I was all, what? What? He was a Korean War veteran, and uh, he'd been shot a couple of times. He was a drill sergeant in the Marines before he actually went to Korea. And so uh, he was he was hard as woodpecker lips, right? And so he told me, he said, you're never going to get that done. I said, what do you mean I'm never going to get that done? He goes, you don't have the intestinal fortitude to get that done. He said it in words that I can't use here, but essentially he was saying, you don't have the intestinal fortitude to get that done. And and uh. He said, he said you're 160 pounds soaking wet which I was at the time I was 160 pounds tall as I am now fully clothed and wet I, I weighed probably about that I, c- I could do like seven push-ups man when I left for the military and for all rights and purposes I couldn't I, I shouldn't have been able to graduate infantry school much less airborne school but I did you know why because when it got hard when I wanted when I wanted to quit when I didn't think I could do it the reason I did do it is the motivation of my grandfather telling me I couldn't do it. And so that motivation drove me to do the thing that I may not otherwise have accomplished. And this is why we need motivation in pursuing holiness. Because why don't we pray like we should? Because sometimes it's hard. It's uncomfortable. We, want to tell, we need to tell God stuff that we're embarrassed to tell him, and so we don't pray, Right? Uh, Why don't we give like we should? We don't give like we should because we don't understand. We don't have the proper motivation. Why is giving necessary? Why don't we fast? Because we don't understand why we don't fast. Why don't we pursue a life of godliness, which is to pursue holiness? Because a life of godliness is difficult and we need the right motivation. And unfortunately, a lot of times we don't get that motivation. We just get a pastor comes up to you and says, you need to pursue holiness. And then they walk off the stage and you're all, all right. What does that mean? <laughs> you know? And so that's, that's the whole reason why we're doing this, pursuing holiness. Because I, I want you to know what that means. First, we're talking about motivation. I'm spending two weeks talking about the reason why, so that next week we could talk about putting sin to death. Why am I putting sin to death? And so we started that question last week, this motivation question, why should I pursue holiness? Why holiness? Out of verses 13 through 16, which we determined three reasons primarily out of that text why we pursue holiness. We pursue holiness in verse 13 because we have a living hope, because the hope in us isn't dead, because we are alive in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. In verse 14, because we are obedient children, not just obedient, although obedience is incredibly necessary in determining uh, who we love and who we belong to, we must also be obedient as children are obedient, which is dependently obedient. Realizing that nothing comes from our own hand. And so we pursue holiness. And then finally in verse 14 and 15, we are holy because God is holy. The Bible tells us that we are to be like Christ. If you're going to be like Christ, you need to walk as Christ. And if God, if Christ is a reflection of who God is, and he is according to the word of God, then we should walk as Christ walked because how Christ walked is what God looks like. And because he's holy, we should be holy. Amen. And so in a nutshell, that's what we talked about last week. If you want to watch that on SoundCloud or something like that, you're certainly welcome to do that. Uh, I would actually encourage it if you weren't here. But today I want to talk to you about the the other three reasons why this text says we should pursue holiness. And I'm going to do that, like I said, out of 17 through 21. The primary reason, the overarching umbrella reason, though, and not necessarily included the place... That the reason why we have the opportunity to pursue holiness in the first place is because we have been given salvation, right? Because Jesus Christ died for us on a cross so that we might be holy, and so we are holy. But we should also pursue holiness, right? We are we are holy, and that we are holy. Our soul, our spirit is holy, and. Uh, blameless and spotless before God because of the work that Jesus did, but we prove our holiness in pursuing Christ's likeness and taking off the old self, putting on the new self. Amen? And so this is the requirement that God has, the expectation that God has of us. But we can only do it because the Holy Spirit has been imparted to us to do it in the first place because none of us are capable or able to do any of these things without the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And we wouldn't have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us if we hadn't declared Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and that God raised him from the dead, according to Romans 10 9. All right, so I want to make sure everybody understands where I'm coming from first. We don't have an opportunity to do any of this stuff if you don't belong to Jesus because you're still dead in your sin. You don't even realize that you need to do this stuff. But now, alive in the Spirit, according to Romans chapter 8, we pursue righteousness, we pursue holiness, we pursue Christ's likeness, all of these things being the same thing. And because we have salvation, the first three that we talked about last week, and then the thir- three that we're going to talk about this week, if you'll follow along with me in verse 17, well, I've already outrun my voice this morning. It's going to be good. The women in there praying for us, I told you they are going to do a good job. if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Man, that's a, that's a powerful passage, isn't it? Let me explain to you why I think so. I'm going to make three points out of this. Like I said, number one, why do we pursue holiness? We pursue holiness because we are fearful. When I say why do we pursue holiness, I mean literally what is our motivation for pursuing holiness? What is the reason we pursue holiness? We pursue holiness because we are fearful. Verse 14 or 17 says this. If you address His Father, the One who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on Earth. Now, I had a I had a lady call me. Actually, she didn't call me. She messaged her, messengered, messengered me. Facebook messenger me. Yeah, she did that, and she asked this question. Because if you guys don't know, if you don't follow me on Facebook, I'd recommend you do it because I put out some pretty good content. But <laughs> If you don't follow me on Facebook, or if you do, you'll know that um, I oftentimes put sound bites of what I'm going to preach about on Facebook the week before I preach it, kind of just little teasers out there to give people an idea, something to chew on, so that their spirit, the soil of their spirit is is plowed, so that when they're able more readily to receive the word, I do that on purpose, it's an intentional thing. And so I talked a little bit, I posted something about the fear of the Lord. And this lady messengered me and she said, she said, so this is where I struggle. She said, how should I, how am I supposed to love a God or how am I supposed to fear a God that the Bible so clear loves me? Which is a good question. A lot of people have this question. How am I supposed to fear God if God is supposed to love me? Why am I supposed to fear a God that loves me? Because I love Angela. I don't fear Angela. Right. But. They're not talking necessarily about fear, although there is a fear. They're talking about reverential fear. We should reverentially fear God. We should be reverencing the holiness of God. So we pursue holiness because in our understanding, in our pursuit of Him, it should create an awesome reverence in us. Let me explain what I mean. How many of you guys have ever been in a room with someone that was so powerful, so maybe elevated in society that that you were not sure how to talk to them? I am, right? Uh, my pastor, the first time I talked to my pastor, um, I did something incredibly stupid because I was so nervous. Many of us do the same thing. I was working in the kitchen ministry at the time, and I, we were preparing for a leadership dinner. And this is how much I reverenced him so, bad, so much, I, I, I did something dumb because I didn't know what to do. So I put the water up, and uh, I put it on the table for a leadership dinner, like in this big igloo thing, and he comes behind me, it's the first time I ever talked to him, and he says, he says, hey, I appreciate your work, and I turned around, slapped him on the rear end, and said, you too, (laughs) 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 and I was all, don't, Ah." right, I was was in law enforcement, and we were just crude and stupid then, and. But my, my reverence for him overwhelmed me to the degree that I was stupid for a minute, right? You guys ever reverence somebody so much that you were stupid for a minute? Imagine, I, I reverenced him because of his knowledge, because of his position, because of the, the elevated status that he has in the kingdom of God, that he should be able to divide the word and preach to me. I, I reverence. We should reverence our, our leadership. Amen? But one of the things we don't do in this country like we should anymore is reverence our leadership. And that's both spiritual and uh, and secular leadership. And so I want you to imagine for a moment why you should fear God. You should fear God because God is bigger than you can ever imagine. I told you guys worship, one of the elements of worship is opening your imagination to how big God is. And so I want you to ask yourself a question. And it it could be any number of questions. It could be, how beautiful is God? And then find a quiet place and imagine, meditate on, open up your imagination to how beautiful God is, how powerful God is, and then find a quiet place and meditate, open your imagination to how powerful God is, how loving God is. It's, It's any number of questions. But let me tell you, whatever you come to, How beautiful, how powerful, how loving. No matter what conclusion you come to, he's bigger than that. Because your finite mind can't comprehend in its completeness infinite beauty, power, and love. And so this should bring us to a place where we are just open-mouthed in awe of God, in fear and reverence of God. I want us to be a people that reverence God, but but unfortunately we, we don't a lot of times. We're very flippant about the God that we serve. We enter his presence like, like we're walking into a friend's house. This, is, this isn't the way it should be. We should, we should truly understand how big and magnificent and lovely God is. How, how much control, how sovereign is God? That's something maybe we should think of. Because can I tell you, like I told the first service, we serve a God that created everything by the breath of his voice. He just said, I want there to be a Leonard Debo. And there was a Leonard Debo. And the same thing for all of you. And so he created you. Why do I say this? I say this because he created you. He has creative license over you. And because he has creative license over you, he can destroy you if he wants to and not be accountable to anything. I made the kitchen table in my house. If I took it into my front yard and smashed it into a thousand pieces... Nobody has the authority or the right to yell at me about it because I made it. God created each of us; He could snuff us out like that, but He loves us so much that He didn't do that. We deserve to have that done to us, but instead, He sent Jesus to us. If this doesn't create a holy reverence in you, yes, that a, a holy God looks at an unholy people, it has the right to kill them, and doesn't instead sends the things that He sends the one thing that He loves the most to save the thing that is less least deserving to be saved this should create a reverence in us why do we pursue holiness because our God is big enough to deserve it what is your motivation for for pursuing holiness it should start with a reverence for how magnificent and how beautiful God is I could go on and 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 on the word of God is full of how awesome he is he holds the the oceans in the palm of his hand what he knows the stars by the numbers and, no, and, and placed each one of them. Knows them by name. Knows how many hairs you have on your head. He has your name engraved in the palm of his hand. His thoughts of you are greater than the thoughts of the sands of the seashore, which is 10 to the 27th power by scientific estimation, which means 10 with 27 zeros behind it are his thoughts of you. What? Let me tell you how many billions of billions are in that number. I can't even calculate. But if you counted that number one per one, like one, two, three, one number every second, you'd be counting to one billion for 31 years. And there are billions of billions in his thoughts of you. That should that should make you sit down, open up your mouth and go, my God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that my motivation hasn't been right. I'm sorry that my actions haven't demonstrated the heart that you have for me. Amen? And so, and in that reverence, God promises us blessing, which is even more incredible because He deserves reverence if He didn't bless us again at all. What blessing does He offer? I'm going to read you some verses here. He promises protection for those who fear Him according to Psalms 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. Fear the Lord, He's going to, he's going to protect you. He promises favor to those who fear Him. Psalms 147, 11. The Lord favors those who fear Him, those who wait for loving kindness. He promises wisdom to those who fear Him. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I, I've got a list here. He promises guidance according to Psalms 25, 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. He promises great blessings, Psalm 34, 9. O oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him, There is no want. Now, let me ask you a question. I didn't read these things to you just to make you feel good about yourself. I want you to contemplate them. I want you to think on them. How many of you guys, and ask yourself these questions, could use just a little bit more protection from God? How many of you guys could stand a little bit more favor from God? How many of you guys could stand some more wisdom or maybe even guidance in the way that you should go? Or be blessed beyond what you're blessed right now. Let me tell you, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all of those things. I'm not blessed. I got no favor at work. Maybe it's because you're all Millymouth mouthed and you ain't standing on God the way you should be standing on God and you don't reverence Him the way you should reverence Him. Why would God give you something if you can't acknowledge that He gave it to you in the first place? Whew, come on. Can somebody say amen in this joint? I'm just excited because my God loves me enough that He decided not only should I reverence Him, but that He blesses me for doing just what He told me to do. My pastor told me one time, that, or he didn't tell me he's we had a youth pastor and he was, he was kind of a, to say millennial, but he was. He was all, you never tell me how much you appreciate me, pastor, My, pa- I hate that man, right? If if I appreciate you, I'll tell you. If I don't appreciate you, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. I'm not gonna embarrass you. But he looked at the guy and said, he said, Did you get paid last week? He said, yeah. I said, I He said, I appreciate you. Why would I brag on you for doing what you're supposed to be doing? But God doesn't only brag on you for doing what you're supposed to be doing. He rewards you for it. Man, that's so good. He doesn't have to, but he does. All we have to do is be reverential in our pursuit of holiness. Not only are we reverential uh, because he deserves reverence, because he blesses us in our reverence, but because our time is limited. Your time on earth is limited. I'm going to read you a verse. James 4, 13 through 14 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. So, I mean, we should make plans. This is what he's saying. Some of us say we're going to make these plans. The Bible is very specific to say um, a noble man makes noble plans and in his noble plans he stands. And so he makes those plans and stands by them. Yet, You do not know that your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You should reverence God because you're not promised tomorrow. You can have all the plans in the world, but your day is your salvation is today. You're a whisper of smoke. You ever blow out a candle and watch that little piece of smoke go, and then it's gone? In light of eternity, that's your life span. And I don't know about you, but that freaks me out. Because you know why? Because at the end of it, there's a judgment. There's a judgment both for the believer and the unbeliever. And we should pay attention to this. For the believer and the unbeliever. I hear both believers and unbelievers say ridiculous, stupid things. One of the things that, in regard to judgment that I think is wholly irreverential that I hear unbelievers say, is this, you try to correct them, you tell them about something they got going on, or you tell them the gospel. And some Christians even say this, they say, only God can judge me. And that ought to freak you out. <coughs> How blatant and irresponsible is it for you to be loved enough by a brother to tell you that there's danger ahead? And you look at them and say, only God can judge me. You're right, only God can judge your soul, but let me guarantee with an attitude like that, He's going to. Because there's a judgment coming. We should be reverential. When people try to warn us, when people try to tell us out of the Word of God, hey, the the activity, the thing that you're doing, man, isn't godly. It's not going to end up well for you. Let me encourage you in the Word. Let me show you the right path to take. For you to say, only God can judge me, is a dismissal of the Word of God, and we should be ashamed of that. Because the judgment is coming, we should revere God and revere his word enough to recognize and live our life in such a way that at some point we're going to stand before God and give an account for our life. That should freak you out. People are all, I'm not freaked out by that, I'm a Christian. Even if you're a Christian, that should freak you out because there's a judgment for you too. The judgment seat of Christ says that you're going to give an account for everything that you've ever done, that you're going to be given recompense, which means payment for everything that you've done, good or bad. Ooh, man, I'll tell you, I'm up here pastoring, man. I, I, I feel like i got a pretty good prayer life. I feel like I give like I should. I fast like I should. I'm in the Word every day, um, multiple hours a day. And I don't say that to brag. I feel like I do all these things. But let me tell you, when I think about standing in front of a holy God whose eyes are like fire, And a sword comes out of his mouth. And he says, tell me about your life. And I still have to tell him the things that I've done. Everything that I've done. It should create reverence in me. Because let me tell you, there's some things I'd be ashamed to talk about for this pulpit. But you're going to have to answer for them. So we should reverence God, not just for who he is and the blessings that he gives us. Not just because our life is short, but because at the end of our life, according to the word of God, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we, believers, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Be reverent because there's a judgment. People ask me all the time, hey, when you think Jesus is coming back, doesn't matter, live your life in reverence and fear of the Lord. And when he comes back, you'll be ready. I don't have to know what day or what time. The Bible says he's not going to tell us that anyway. My job is to live in such a way so that it doesn't matter when he comes or when he goes. And this happens as we begin to pursue holiness, as we are reverent about a holy God. Amen? Number two, (laughs) we pursue holiness because we are blood-bought. Praise God for that. Verse eighteen through twenty reads like this: "Knowing that you were not redeemed by perishable things, but with silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers." So let me tell you what this is saying. This is a, sounds like a bunch of craziness, but essentially what he's saying: "Knowing that you weren't bought back by silver or gold, which means you weren't you weren't taken out of the ki- out of the kingdom of the enemy, the kingdom of Satan, and placed into the kingdom of heaven. You weren't bought." with a price of silver and gold from the sins that you your futile way of life is your sinful lifestyle, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We should be reverent because God gave His Son Jesus Christ to die for us. I'm going to say that again because some of y'all are looking around you ain't paying attention because God gave His Son's life for us. I want us to be reverent because there was a price paid for you. You know, when we give our life to the Lord, we call God Lord. We say that Jesus is Lord, that we're going to do what the Lord says, that the word of God says that we are to do. This is is non-negotiable. You were a slave to sin. Now you are a slave to righteousness. These aren't fickle or meaningless words. It means that you must do what the master says. Now, we have a hard time in a Western society understanding this because, because we're American and this is free. We don't understand kingship. But let me tell you, we live in a kingdom. The kingdom of God is exactly that. He stands as Lord and he must be revered as Lord. He must be obeyed as Lord. We are moved from the slave market of sin into slavery of righteousness we have to be righteous because it's the requirement of the word of god for us amen and obedience proves who we belong to am i talking too fast or too heavy for anybody i'm just trying to lay the truth out as plain as i can for you because so many of us live around walk around as though judgment's not coming and a price wasn't paid for you and if a price was paid for you that means you don't belong to you Time for you to start, stop making your own decisions and start making decisions based on the Word of God. Pray. People say, man, I don't know what God wants for me. Read your Word. Pray. What He doesn't specifically tell you in the Word of God, He'll confirm in your prayer life. Thank you, Lord. But we have to pay attention. We have to revere that which God has given us. And the most incredible thing that God has given us is the blood of Jesus. Why did He give us the blood of Jesus? Because He is a just God. Because there is a penalty for sin. A just God, perfectly just, has to do what He said He would do. In the Bible it tells us, without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. This is Hebrews 9, 22. This is the Word of God. And so sh- blood has to be shed for our forgiveness. Or a just God is unjust. The Bible says that wages of sin is death. And if the wages of sin is death, somebody has to pay that wage. Wage means literally what you have earned because of the work that you have done. Right? You get a paycheck. How many of you guys work for a living? You get a paycheck at the end of each pay period? That's the wage. That's the recompense for what you did. And this is what God has sent Jesus Christ to do for us, to pay the wage. The wage was promised... To Adam and Eve, Genesis 2, 16-17 says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Death is a requirement of sin. But we inherit that sin nature. So that wage became ours by inheritance. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through him, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All of us are guilty of sin by birth. They're all, man, that's not fair. It doesn't have to be fair. It's the way that it is. According to your standard, it doesn't mean anything. How many of you guys have kids? Saw a kid on TV or something, right? When a baby's brand new born, it learns very quickly how to manipulate you. Right? It, like, like very quickly, like within two minutes. If you set it down, it starts crying in anticipation that you're going to pick it back up. That's manipulation. Nobody had to teach that kid how to sin because sin's in his nature. We are sinful by nature, but we are also sinful by action. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God according to the word of God. None of us have searched after God, knew God, understood God until the Spirit of God made Him alive in us. None of us. We are guilty of sinning by action and deserve the wrath and justice of God, the the recompense, the wage that God declared with Adam and Eve. This is what we deserve. But God. Can everybody say, but God? But God. God. (coughs) I'm getting excited. But God sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is a reason to reverence God. Because He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be our atonement. To pay our price. Because He loved us. Because He loved you. I told the first service, I'm going to tell you guys the same thing. Listen. Stop. I want you to stop thinking about the salvation of God is a congregational thing, and I want you to personalize it. The salvation of God happened for you, Miss Jean. It happened for you, Brother Leonard. It happened for you, D.W. It happened for you, Diane. I could name so many people in this room. My wife told me when we first got married—not before, actually—before we got married, she said, "She said I find my value." And the fact that if I was the only person ever walked the face of the earth, God would have sent his son Jesus to die for me anyway. You, Can I tell you that's true? Find your value in that statement. Not in what people want to put on you, the labels they want to put on you who, you, who they tell you you have to be, or what you, you're not skinny enough, you're too skinny, you're not smart enough, you're not any of these things. Doesn't matter who you are. God sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's where your value is at. Can you walk in the value of that and in that recognize that there's an obligation to pursue holiness because Jesus Christ himself poured his life's blood out so that you could have that value. That's so good. Because value is dependent on what you're willing to pay for. Right? And God gave the most precious thing for you, which means that you have precious value to him. Mm. I hear people all the time, they say, they say stuff like, uh, well, that's not fair, man, that, that we should go to hell. A uh, uh, God, God loving God wouldn't send people to hell. He doesn't. One of my favorite quotes, I was watching a panel. If you don't know who R.C. Sproul is, R.C. Sproul is a theologian. He passed on last year, but incredible theologian. And he's in a panel of like four or five different pastors and different speakers, um, apologists, if you will. And somebody asked that question from the crowd. How can a loving God send people to hell? And he didn't have the microphone. They were kind of passing the microphone around. And he got indignant. Now, he was an old guy. He sat up in the front of his chair. He reached over two or three people, and he snatched the, remote, the microphone. And he looked at the crowd, and he goes, What is wrong with you people? That's his quote. That's a famous quote of R.C. Sproul. What is wrong with you people? A loving God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, when you deserve death god didn't send you to hell your unwillingness to accept jesus christ as lord and savior sent you to hell jesus christ didn't come to judge you according to john 3:17 you were already judged he came to save you from judgment what is wrong with you people amen man this is such a big deal i just want to next time somebody asks you something stupid like that just look at him and say what is wrong with you Jesus, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice and he made it for you. And I praise God for that. Amen. He became sin according to the word of God, which is the only way that that he could be our perfect sacrifice because he was perfect. He didn't have sin until he took on our sin so that we could be without sin through the blood that he shed. Golly, man, let me tell you this. Woo! right, I told, all right, amen, I'm not going to dance around, but let me tell you, we should get this excited about this, we should be willing to dance and celebrate and fall on our face in reverence towards a God that's willing to set aside the penalty we deserve, place it on his own son so that we might be with him in eternity, God is so good, which brings me to my last point, we pursue holiness because we have faith and hope. Jesus Christ died to give you a hope. Man, life's hard. I know it's hard. But can I go back to my one of my earlier points? It's only going to be hard for that long. It's but a whisper of smoke. There's a judgment coming. Are you ready? Because the hope that I'm talking about is only available to those that know Jesus Christ. No matter what the world tells you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one gets to the Father but through Him world says man you get to God 10 different kind of ways let me tell you that's true you can the Bible is very clear to say it doesn't matter what you believe you're going to be in the presence of God but only those that make a declaration of Jesus are going to get to stay there and that that, ought to make us celebrate and weep at the same time because those people that don't get to stay there we know them we see them we walk side by side with them we work with them People are man, I don't want to talk about Jesus at work because I don't want to offend anybody. 10,000 years from now, man, they're going to look up at you and go, why didn't you tell me? And I don't want that on me. Do you want that on you? But let me tell you, you can't teach what you don't know. And you can't lead where you won't go. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can't tell other people about Jesus. If you don't have the hope, how are you going to declare a hope to someone else? And so I would ask if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know Jesus. I've not told a single lie here today. Every blessing that you've ever hoped for comes from the hand of God through Christ Jesus. Judgment is coming. Jesus came that we might be saved from that judgment. So that we might ultimately have a hope and be in the presence of a holy God. I'm not told a single lie. and So I ask you. There's only one question at the end of every good sermon that you should ask. What are you doing with Jesus? And so I ask you, what are you doing with Jesus? If you know him. Are you carrying him with you where you go? And if you don't know him. Are you willing to accept him? Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us, that all of these truths are evident in your word, that you do bless us, that you do love us, and the greatest blessing that you have given us is the blood of your son, Jesus. So, God, now for the people that have raised their hand in this place, I I make this prayer. God, we love you, and I thank you for the blood of your son, Jesus. I thank you, God, that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for me, And God, at this point forward, I declare in Jesus' name, Him as Lord, believing God that you raised Him from the dead. And because you raised Him from the dead, I have the promise that I too will be raised from the dead and be with you for eternity. And so God, I I make this declaration that I belong to you. And I turn away from a sinful lifestyle. Not only turn away from a sinful lifestyle, but turn towards Jesus, asking to be empowered by your Holy Spirit. So that I could walk this out day by day. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are faithful to forgive me when I ask you to forgive me and impart to me righteousness. God, I praise you. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. God, I also pray. I also pray, God, that you give the people that have made that declaration or maybe need to make that declaration or maybe even people that are right but struggling an understanding that it isn't them. It's you in them. It allows them to walk it out that tomorrow is going to be hard too. But now empowered by your spirit, they can do it. And they'll do it better the next day and better the next day and better the next day. Walk with them. Talk with them. Be with them as I know your word promises you will. We praise you and we worship you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.